Hallelujah. That name is great because it's the only name given unto heaven by which men must be saved. There's only one name. The only one. They got plenty of names out there, but there's only one that's going to get you there. It's the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Whew. What a presence. I love coming to church just because he's here. Hallelujah. I like seeing you, but I like seeing him. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. My wife and I want to wish each and every one of you a happy resurrection day. But let me tell you something. The only way you can be happy, the only people that's really happy about this day are those who have received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Their sins have been washed away by the blood. They've been filled with His Holy Spirit. And they got power. That's the only people that can really be happy. Otherwise, you're just celebrating a religious day. And you go to church and you leave the same way. But that's not for born-again believers because they're going to come and they're going to rejoice in resurrection power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the only people I can really celebrate today. You know, the resurrection, the truth about the resurrection is the most important truth in Christianity. The bodily resurrection. Jesus came out of that tomb in a body. He didn't come out in spirit. He came out in a resurrected body. And if it had not happened, then everything Jesus taught Everything he did would be discredited simply because he told his disciples and everybody else that it was going to happen. So in all of Christianity, everything hinges on the fact that he was put in a tomb while he was crucified on a Friday, put in a tomb, and he came out on Sunday morning. That everything in Christianity hinges on that. If that wouldn't have taken place, then Jesus wouldn't have been any better than any other religious figure that they put in the ground and stayed in the ground. But it means so much because Jesus told his disciples he was going to do it. He told religious leaders that he was going to do it. In Matthew chapter 16, Beginning in verse 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, if you can if you can picture that, somebody taking Jesus aside and rebuking him, that shows you 
uh, Peter's mentality at the time. But he said, never, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Then Jesus turned and said to him, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. He says, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. See, this is the challenge in Christianity today. We have to somehow separate what is of God and what is of men. I got out of a denomination that I was in. I actually got saved in, but I had to get out of it probably 20 years ago because I saw too much of men and not enough of God. I want God. I don't want men because I know what is in man. I know what is in me. So I want what is God. So Jesus addressed Peter as Satan. How do you like to get rebuke like that? Get behind me, Satan. What? <laughs> he said that because Peter said, what you're talking about here, dying on a cross and being buried and then being resurrected, that's not going to happen to you. Thank God it did, because if it didn't, we'd still be in our sins today. Think about it. That would, that would have been Satan's greatest victory if he could have stopped Jesus from coming out of that tomb, from being resurrected on the third day. But that time on, Jesus continued to tell his disciples. It's amazing how many times he told them the same thing, and they still didn't get it. It's like some of us. You can hear the gospel time and time again, and then all of a sudden, years down the line, it clicks. Well, for three years, Jesus was telling them, this is what's going to happen. But then it clicked because he did what he said he was going to do. But he also reminded the religious leaders that he was going to do it. In John chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Then the Jews demanded of him, and this is right after he cleansed the temple in Jerusalem, sent all the money changes out, and those who sell in the animals, he cleansed the temple, and then the Jews said this, Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? He just cleansed the temple. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken about was his body. His body is what he was talking about. His resurrection would prove that he was God. It would also verify everything he taught. You know, he kept calling God his father, so that meant that he was his son. So it, it verified his deity. 
that he was the only begotten son of God the Father, that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the anointed one that the Jewish people were read about and have been expecting for hundreds of years. But it also verified he has the power over death, hell, and the grave. So the preaching of the resurrection of Jesus, especially in the early church, cost his disciples their lives. It cost the apostle Paul the imprisonment and eventually his life for preaching what I'm preaching to you right now. They died for it. And there might be coming a day when that's going to happen again. But right now I'm telling you, he rose from the dead. There is resurrection of the dead, okay? I'm telling you that. But believing this truth is, the, is essential to salvation. If you want to get to heaven, you got to believe this. You can't have any doubt about whether Jesus rose from the dead or not. You won't, you won't see heaven without it because the Apostle Paul said in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. See, that's not enough. It's not enough just to say Jesus is Lord. But Paul said, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. So you got to believe that there's eternal life. That's why you accept Christ, because he's going to give you eternal life. And that's why the religious leaders in the Roman government tried to keep it from happening. In other words, all the powers on earth was trying to keep it from happening. They tried everything to stop it, but it still happened. Why? Because you can't fight God. They tried to fight God. You can't fight God. But Jesus said the God of this world, who is Satan, is still trying to cover it up. Even today, they're trying to cover it up. See, instead of the world recognizing the virgin birth of Christ, Satan gave the world Santa Claus. And the rain did. And Frosty the snowman. See, that's what the world's teaching their kids. They're not teaching him that he was born of a virgin to come into the world, that he was the Savior. No. I'm going to talk about Santa Claus. Then, Instead of recognizing the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Satan gives the world the Easter bunny and the eggs. Now, look, I like the chocolate with the pecans in it. <laughs> I don't have anything against chocolate and pecans. But against the Easter bunny, I have a lot. But all the power on earth, all the spiritual wickedness couldn't stop it from happening. They couldn't stop the birth. And even after he was born, they tried to kill him, couldn't do that. But even the resurrection, all the spiritual wickedness on earth couldn't stop him from coming out of the grave. In fact, the power of his resurrection is in this place right here. It's here right now, believe it or not. It's here right now. The same spirit 
that raised Christ from the dead, think about this. It's here right now. I feel it. And what he did then, he can do now. Let's read the story. Let's read the story of the resurrection, Mark's gospel. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And then they asked each other, who will roll a stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone was very large. It had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell the, his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So I titled the message, Who Will Roll a Stone Away? See, that stone that covered that tomb speaks a lot. That stone speaks of the despair of death. In other words, when the stone is rolled over it, that's, the, that's it. That's the finality of death is when that big stone was, was rolled over the entrance to that tomb. It's like the closing of a lid on a coffin at a funeral. which I've witnessed many, many times officiating funerals for 42 years that I've been in ministry. And, you know, when you attend the funeral, the coffin's open, and everybody's walking past, everybody's giving their last respects, and that goes on for a long time. Then all of a sudden, the funeral director will get everybody out. And only the family is there and me so they can pay their last respects. And when they're finished, they get the family out. Then I'm there with the funeral director and the people, and I'll see the coffin close. That's the final thing. See, when the coffin closes, that, that's it. You can't change that. It's something that man has no power over. That's the end of that life that was here on earth. See, when Jesus died on Friday, the Jewish Sabbath day was approaching. It was The Jewish Sabbath began at 6 o'clock, and it, here it was around 3 o'clock. They had to take the body down because they couldn't do that on the Sabbath. So he got a quick burial. In other words, it was done without the traditional preparation, 
with all the spices and everything that, that they put on him, but they couldn't do it. It was quick. They had to wrap him up, and they had to put him in a tomb. But early Sunday morning, three women, it's amazing how women are so important in the gospel. I tell it to people all the time about the women. Uh, when God called me into ministry, I spent one year as an associate, and he sent me out to Pioneer Church in River Ridge. And I, I prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm going to go and do what you want me to do, but don't give me a church full of women. Give me some men. And you know what he did? He gave me a church full of women. And thank God for them. My wife can tell you, if it wasn't for them women dedicated, just like we got some here today, they, they've sold out to this place. And they've done a lot. So Mary Magdalene and Mary of Mother James and Salome went to do it. They had no idea that uh, the, the, the thing was sealed up and it was actually guarded by Roman soldiers. And they talked on the way and it began just coming to a conclusion, who's going to roll this big stone away? You know, it's like many of us, the problems that we have in our life. You ask the question, who in the world is going to move this thing? Who in the world is going to change this situation in my life? Well, the answer is the same. Jesus can move it. He's alive, and he still rolls stones away today. Anybody who is willing to put their faith and their trust in him, I don't care what the stone looks like. I don't care how big it is, and I don't care how long it's been there. It can move. <laughs> you can't move it. He can move it. See, the cross is empty. The tomb's empty. See, I grew up in a religion where all I saw was Jesus dead on a cross. He ain't there. He ain't there. He's not in the tomb either. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father making intersection for you and I right now. What is your need? He'll make it happen. The stone speaks of efforts of the enemies of Christ. See, the Roman government was the supreme power in the world at that time. There was no greater power. There was no greater authority on the face of the earth other than Caesar. The religious leaders wanted him crucified, and they wanted the Roman government to secure the tomb with two guards and a Roman seal on the tomb. That seal represented the most powerful authority on the face of the earth at that time. None. It was none greater than that. Because those religious leaders remember Jesus saying that you destroyed this temple, my body, I'm going to raise it up in three days. All of a sudden, that 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 statement Jesus made to them came alive. Say, wait a minute. I remember him talking about the temple. He was talking about his body, so let's guard this thing. See, that's what religion will do. Religion 
will keep you from knowing the truth. Religion tries to hide the truth of the gospel. I remember 40 years ago, my wife and I, when we pioneered the church in River Ridge, we, I was doing a Bible study on West Esplanade at, a, at a, one of the members' house. And they had invited a lady there. Her husband was a doctor. And uh, she came to the Bible study. And we just happened to be doing the Gospel of Luke, just like we're doing now in our life groups. We're going through the Gospel of Luke. We're going through the Gospel of Luke. She was there for a couple weeks. And uh, we, we used to spend about two hours. We went from seven to nine. After an hour, we'd take a break, go get some coffee and eat, eat some things, and we'd get back into it. And during the break, she came up to me and she said, Pastor, she said, I want to let you know that I'm really enjoying studying the gospel. I said, well, that's great. She said, but I want to tell you something. She says, I'm Catholic, and I, I want to tell you right now, I'm not giving up Mary. <laughs> I said, that's okay. Nobody's going to ask you to do that. I ain't going to ask you to do anything. She said, okay. Well, about six weeks later, we was just about through the gospel. And during the break, she came up to me. She said, Pastor, I want to let you know something. I gave her up. <laughs> You see, resurrection power, roll that stone away. See, you don't have to criticize anybody's religion. Just give them Jesus. If they come to Jesus, then all those stones of religion are going to go. Every stumbling block that was in their way in their life is going to go. Just get them to Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul says about that religion. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, and he was speaking to Jews who was, was headlong into religion. He says, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which was religion, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, Jesus Christ takes away the legalism of religion. See, religion is a, is a weight. It's a burden. And uh, because you see, Christianity is Jesus, period. Not Jesus plus anything. You don't have to add anything to Jesus. You got Jesus, you got it all. You don't need to add anything else on. See, Jesus rose the stones of religion away. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells the church in Galatia, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Thank God when you come to Christ, you're free. Your salvation is free. It's done. It's over. 
You don't have to add anything to it. You got to start living right by the power of God's Holy Spirit, but you don't have to add anything to your salvation. He, wore, he bore it all on the cross of Calvary. See, Paul was talking to the church about a religious slavery. In other words, you know, you'll say, but you got to do this. See, there's a, a sect of Christianity. You come to Jesus, you, get, you, you that's fine. You come to Jesus, but you got to be baptized in a certain phrase. You got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. All of that to be saved. No, you get saved when you repent. And you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you become born again. Then you're, you're free. See, religion is a form of godliness that denies the power. The power is the resurrection power of Christ. That is what saves us. Religion don't save you. It's the power of God. Now, that stone speaks of anything that will separate us from our Savior. The prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. See, so it's our sin that separates us from God. When we put our dependence upon a form of godliness, which people, they got millions of people today sitting in church right now thinking that all God desired of them was to show up and leave. That's a form of godliness. They got many of them. We passed churches on the way here. They packed. They packed in there. And I pass that same church every week. They're not always packed, but they packed today because it's Easter. They're going in thinking that this is all God wants me to do is to show up here on Easter day and my life's great. It's not great. They're deceived. Jesus told the religious leaders what they were like. in their form of religion in Luke chapter 11, verse 43. He said, Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves which men walk over without knowing it. Jesus says, you're like a grave. You're like a tomb with a stone in front of it. And you don't even know it. And people don't even know it. That you are dead. And they couldn't roll a stone away. Even if they recognized it, they couldn't roll it away. Only Jesus can do that. Like I said, there's millions right now. They sitting in church, packing them churches out. Packing them out. Thinking that just for them showing up, they okay. Well, the last time they was in there was Christmas. See, the power of Christ's resurrection for salvation 
the power that could save them and make them born again Christians. See, that's what separates religion from Christianity is being born again. Once you're born again, you're in. But if you're not born again, going to church ain't going to make anything for you. You'll walk in, walk out, very same way. Nothing really going to change. But the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is present right here, right now. I walked into a church 50 years ago and that power was there. I walked in, but I didn't walk out the same. Thank God. My wife knew I wasn't the same when I got home. She said, you're not the man I married. I said, thank God. Thank God I'm not that man anymore. That's what uh, Paul says in Romans 8, 11. It says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. See, Jesus can roll that stone away that has been placed in your life by sin, by the world, by the flesh, by the devil. He can roll it all away where you can be born again. Only Jesus has the power to do that. You, you can do all the penance you want. You can give all your money away. You can do all of that stuff. It ain't going to happen. Jesus can roll it away. See, that stone of sin could go. The stone of unbelief can go. The stone of bondage can go. The stone of guilt. The stone of shame. It can all go. Nothing can withstand him. He can resurrect you and give you eternal life. This is what the Lord showed the prophet Isaiah 800 years before Christ came into the world. Isaiah 59, 20. Isaiah prophesied. He said, the Redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children or from the mouths of their descendants from this time on forever, says the Lord. When you become born again, believer, God is promising you generations. I want to tell you, my, my wife can tell you, people can tell you, we, we, my wife and I, we have four generations. I got great-grandchildren today, right now, in a church praising God. Great-grandchildren. What God placed in me, the words that he placed in me, the spirit that he placed in me is down to four generations now. That's the promise of God. God don't only want to save you. He wants to save your generation. He wants to save your children. He wants to save everybody in your family. It ain't just you. That promise goes beyond that. The Redeemer will come to those who repent of their sins. It doesn't matter how big the stone is. doesn't matter how much the sin is. doesn't matter how long. doesn't matter anything. None of that matters. Jesus can roll it away 
and set you free. That stone that has separated you from the love of God. You realize God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loved the world. He loves the world now with all the wickedness and the sin that's going. He still loves them. Think about that. We used to be out there. I used to be one of them. He was loving me when I could care less about him. He was loving him when I was doing the worst sin there is. But sin is what kept me from receiving the love of God. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter 8. I love this portion of scripture. Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we shall face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I am convinced. I like when Paul says that. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate. Nothing in heaven, on earth, under the earth, anywhere can separate me from the love of God. There's no stone too big. There's no stone too big that he can't remove and pour out his love into your life. Like I mentioned before, there are millions of people sitting in church today. Everybody don't know it. They in there, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, that's good. That's a fact. That's a fact, he did. It's not just a religious holiday. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ to save them and cleanse them of all their sins and they could be born again. Not only born again, but I'm going to say this again. The same spirit. The same spirit. Say same. Same. 2,000 years ago, that was the spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That very same one is now living in me. It could be living in you if you don't have him today, right now. See, to really celebrate this day, it's called Easter, but it's really Resurrection Sunday. The only way you could actually be happy today is that you got to know that resurrection power is real because it happened to you. <laughs> it happened to me. It can happen to you today. Then we can celebrate Christ's resurrection. I want you to stand with me. As I was doing this message, a song came to me and I said, I called up Brother Nick. I said, I want you, us to sing this song. 